Hey, it's Scott Petrick with another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. The Browns dropped another heartbreaker in Baltimore, falling to two and five with their fourth straight loss. Now it's an important few days lies ahead as the Browns host the Bengals on Monday night with the NFL trade deadline Tuesday afternoon. Here, as always, to break it all down is Dave Chodowski of Go, the WKYC Morning News. Hey, Chud. Scott, how are you? Hey, you nailed it, man. Final <laughs> score. You hit it. 23-20. I know. I didn't want to uh I didn't want to brag myself, so I'm glad you uh tweeted that out and brought it up because that's rare that it happens, number one. And um yeah, rare and proud of it. So we call that a noser in the press box if you get the complete score right. So I, I was happy about that. Not happy, you know, the bronze lost, but yeah. happy that I got the prediction correct. Yeah, because I mean that you know we're in the prediction business, right? It does not happen often. I, I've, I, I think in all the years doing the pregame huddle on Channel Three, I maybe hit one or two from like 2007 to 2018. So I mean, you know, it just doesn't happen that often. I, I'm not sure if we've you know ever hit one on this podcast before. I know we've come close within a point or two, but just to get it right on the nose, man. Yeah, you deserve props for that because that is not easy. I appreciate that. Well, Scott, let's move on now. And and I got to say, you know, all week long last week, you hear, well, if they just beat the Ravens and if they just beat the Bengals, they'll be right where they need to be. It's kind of like if they just draft this guy, if they just do that, you know, it, it's always the it's always the if game, right? It, yeah. It's always the, hey, yeah. maybe this will happen. But, you know, right now with this team, it just it just doesn't happen. Yeah, you're exactly right. And. You know, I think what makes it more difficult, especially for the fans and the players and the team, is it's not that hard to to, to connect those dots to beating the Ravens, to beating the Jets, to beating the Chargers, you know, to beating the Falcons. Um, you know, if Amari Cooper doesn't call, get called for offensive pass interference, they take the lead with two minutes left, right? Um, and we can go down the line for the whole season. So I understand your point, and it's completely correct that they just have not been able – to make the plays at the key moments to turn close losses into key victories. Um, having said that, you can point to, man, they were so close. And, you know, I think that means makes it more frustrating. I also think it's not absurd to say that this team is better than two and five, but the reality is they're two and five. And I, I think Baltimore was just another obvious example of their, their failures in critical moments, and you know, and all you have to do is point to the OPI, you know, and we can break down whether or not they were good calls or not, right? But that's not all of it. We, you had a Jacoby Brissett fumble that led to an easy Ravens touchdown. You had a big punt return that led to a Ravens field goal. And there's 10 points just from field position alone. And when you take a step back, obviously that's a huge difference from when you lose a game 23 to 20. Yeah, you're right. They are better than their record. No, no question. And and also, I, I got to tell you, watching that game, you know, I'm trying to think what the word is. I, it's not impressed or proud of them or, you know, I'm trying to think of the right thing, but it, it was better than I thought it was going to be. Let's put it that way. I mean, I predicted them to lose by 10, although, you know, losing by 10 could be a late touchdown that makes a close game look not as close. But they definitely had the chance to win this game. I mean, it's not like they – 
uh, you know, were embarrassed by any means. No, and I, I thought, you know, obviously the opening drive was impressive. And we've seen that throughout the course of the year. And I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign for Kevin Stefanski as a play caller that the script is so solid that it usually works. Right, The Ravens hadn't given up a point on an opening possession this year. And the Browns marched down the field, combination of Nick Chubb runs, passes, and it's a touchdown. They score a field goal on their second drive. It's 10 points, and then they go through a lull. And that happens too often where they go through a lull in the middle of the games. And then they finish strong offensively. They score a touchdown. Where they get a field goal, a touchdown, get back in position for, you know, that final drive we can break down. Um, so you look at the offense, you go, okay, it's kind of a mixed bag. Defensively, they were a lot better than they've been, you know, during this four-game losing streak, really starting with that Atlanta game where they got gashed against the run in the second half, and then you had the Chargers game, and then the Patriots game. You know, the Ravens ran for 160, but they averaged like 3.6 yards of care. You know, you can live with that. Jamar Lamar Jackson completed nine passes. Mark Andrews, stud tight end, didn't have any completion, didn't have any receptions. So I, I thought Amazing. Was, yeah, it really was. I mean, stunning, right? Like stunning. You're watching the whole game going, where, where's Mark Andrews? I mean, the only time they got the ball yeah. in his hands was he pitched one to Lamar on fourth and one, and then he got a handoff on third. <laughs> a bizarre one. play. Yeah. A bizarre so, play. And, 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 and to interrupt you, that because that was going to be my next topic, if you would have told me that Lamar would have had those numbers and Mandrews would have not caught a ball, I would have been like, Browns Browns win. Right. Yeah. I know, which is one of the kind of those head scratches that we see all the time from this team and this franchise. But so there is a significant step up in the defense. Now, or there was Sunday in Baltimore. Now they only had the one turnover, but it was a huge turnover that gave them the chance at the end of the game. Um, you know, the, I guess the point of the struggles were – you know, 160 total on the ground isn't ideal. And they couldn't get off the field. I think Baltimore is 7 for 15 on third down and 2 for 2 on fourth down. So it's nine conversions uh, when you have a chance to get off the field. And that's not going to cut it, right? That allowed Baltimore to have a big edge in time of possession. So, you know, it wasn't perfect, but it shouldn't have to be perfect. Uh, you know, maybe that's the whole point of this. It shouldn't have to be perfect for this team to win games. Yet that's almost how it feels. Like if there's one or two key mistakes and they just can't recover. Yeah, no doubt. So let's hit a couple of the uh, – there's, there's two things I want to talk about from the game, and then I actually want to move on to the Bengals. Yeah. Uh, the first one is the penalties. Uh, do, do you think that that was a penalty on Amari Cooper? I, I've heard two different schools of thought. I've yeah. heard that it was blatantly a penalty, and then I've also had people have the opinion that, you know, that's, that's typical stuff that you see and, uh, you know – the thing about it is he didn't really show much emotion or try to argue the point, right? No, and to me that's a sign of guilt. And really from the whole team, like there, there, I didn't see a big reaction. I was there, right, in Baltimore. I didn't see a big reaction from the team. Yeah. Like they just started walking back to the huddle. Uh, so you you see that plenty of times where a guy, you know, there's hand fighting, there's a contact, there's no call on the offense. But I, I thought it was the right call. I, I did in – I think what's, you know, frustrating is the word, right? And I got to find a new word. But if you're a fan <laughs> is, he was open. Like, he didn't need to extend that arm. And I think when you extend that arm as a receiver, it makes it easy for the official to throw that, to throw the flag. Because he can see it. You know, it's not, it wasn't subtle. Now, I don't think he gained a huge advantage there. 
but he didn't need to gain anything because he had whatever half step step on uh, Marcus Peters, who the Browns picked on, and the throw was right there. Like all he has to do is stay there, stay between Peters and the ball, and it's a completion and probably a touchdown. So, yeah, you know, I guess that's I, what's I, aggravating. I agree with you. I I didn't even question it when I saw it happen. Before the flag, I even yep. saw the flag. I'm like, oh, that's coming back. There's no way that's a touchdown. But the reason I asked you is I, I don't know who it was. I can't remember. But I heard someone on the radio or somewhere this week was adamantly upset about it. And I'm not talking about a fan. I'm talking about, you know, someone who covers the Browns. And I can't yeah. remember who it was. Um, but I was kind of surprised. I was like, eh, I don't know. I, you know, the, the other penalty, you I, you could debate that one for sure. But yeah. uh, uh, the Cooper, start. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, can, start. I completely agree with you on Cooper. And, you know, Cooper, after the game, admitted as much. But, yeah, there was contact. Yeah, you can call it. It doesn't always get called. Well, okay, fair enough. But, you know, and then talking about penalties, and I want to talk about that false start, but there was a rough in the pasture that they threw a flag and picked up earlier in the game against Jacoby Brissett. I thought it was more egregious. I thought that should have stuck. And then there was a hit, and I'm trying to remember now if it was the last drive or not. Um where I thought they could have called another um, roughing the passer on Brissett. I thought he took a late hit and there was no flag. So to me, those were, if you're going to complain, I would complain about those two. And actually it was on that last drive. He threw the deep pass to Peoples-Jones, like a 37-yarder. And I thought there was a late hit on Brissett, maybe two, like he kind of got crunched from both sides. I, I thought those were two. I'd complain more about those two than – the Cooper play and maybe even the false start, Chud. Yeah, but did, did did you see a false start there? Did you did well, you see anything? Here here's the thing, and I don't know. You know, I mean, I watch a bunch of football, and I like to think I pay attention to the snap and the hold and the kicks. I don't know if I ever pay that much attention to what Charlie Hewlett does every time he snaps the ball, because to me, he clearly moves the ball now. It's kind of almost like a like a pitcher's set, right? He comes set, and Clevenger moves his feet a hundred times, or Karinchik does all his crazy stuff. Like I think there's a pattern, and if you have that pattern, then it's not really a penalty. But I thought he moved the ball, and if the Ravens were looking for that and looking for a reason to jump to get the ball, rounds a false start, I thought there was enough movement of the ball to kind of precipitate that. You know, and then okay. once the Ravens once the Ravens move, then about six Browns guys move. Um, you know, in did some of them move before there's contact? I've seen I've heard that argument made from NFL. I think it was, might have been Gene Steratore on the broadcast when I was rewatching it. Um, and if if the Ravens cross the neutral zone but don't make contact, and then the Browns move, um, then it's the Browns penalty. So, you know, it seems ticky tack, and, and I get the anger from Browns fans, but I don't think it was I don't think it was a crazy bad call just because I do think you can see Charlie Hewlett do something to the ball. Now I'm not an expert there, so I don't know if that should be enough to warrant you know to warrant a penalty and or the Ravens get away saying, well that's why we jumped. Because the I think the fishy thing is John Harbaugh, the Ravens coach, immediately yelled he moved the ball. And there's yeah. about eight guys between him and the ball. So I don't know how you could see that. Um, so maybe the Ravens just had that in their head is, hey, this is what we're on alert for. Because I think some teams offensively will try to get you to draw off, you know, try to draw an offside by maybe finagling the ball a little bit. 
Stefanski said the Browns wouldn't do that in that situation. But, you know, it feels like the Ravens were looking out for that. Yeah, and and who's to say he's going to make it from five yards? And I, I know that that doesn't make a big difference, but, I mean, it wasn't like it was close there, you know, partially blocked. Well, it gotten, I, right, it could have gotten blocked from 56, right? I mean, Yeah, right, right. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it seems like the big topic uh, in Browns land this week, and, and it's been all year, is, is the usage of Nick Chubb. How do you feel about that? Because, I mean, you know, the guy is right there, tops and rushing and touchdowns, right, in, yeah. in, in the league. And um, do, do you feel like they're using him the correct way? I mean, pe- people are upset saying, you know, he's not being used properly. Yeah, they are. And I've given this a lot of thought, Chud. And here's where I've kind of settled is overall, I think they're pretty close to using him the right way. He's getting – you know, the other day he had 16 rushes and two catches, right? So that's 18 touches. Now, you know, would it, what's the ideal number? Is it 20, 22? You know, maybe those four carries make the difference in a ball game or the four touches, right? If he averages seven yards a, or seven yards a touch and all of a sudden you're 30 extra yards, um, you know, does that make the difference in the game? Maybe, especially when you're losing by one, two, and three points. So I, I get that argument. Um, and I think – you know, I, I maybe my perfect number is right there, 20, 21, 22, right? Because you don't want to overwork him, and that's why you have Kareem Hunt, so you don't have to overwork Chubb. You know, and you have to throw the ball. I'm, you know, I, I'm not of the belief, we've talked about this, where you got to run it 45 times a game. Like, I, I don't think that works week in, week out in the NFL. But I also think that if you go back and kind of break down each example where you go, man, this is where they should have given the ball to Chubb. This is where they should have given the ball to Chubb. Most of those times – I think there's a reasonable explanation if you're inside Kevin Stefanski's head for why he did something else. Like, for example, the first play of the third quarter, you can say, okay, get the ball to Chubb. He didn't get it at the end of the first half. The Browns are struggling. We mentioned that lull on offense. Well, Stefanski has something designed where it's like a three-step drop, get the ball out of Brissett's hands, get an easy completion, and then you probably run the ball with Chubb on second down. Instead, there's a breakdown in protection Brissett gets sacked, and now it's second and 15, and you can't hand it off to Chubb. Now, they threw it to Chubb, and then the third down, Brissett gets sacked and fumbles, and it's a big point in the game. My point is, I understand saying, hey, we have this play we really like. It's a, it's what they consider low risk coming out of halftime, and that it turns into high risk. Like, I, I don't blame Kevin Stefanski that, for that. Um, you know, in hindsight, you can, right, because it blows up in his face. But my, there's just so many of those examples where I say, you know what? It made sense to try to throw the ball here. It made sense to hand it off to Kareem Hunt here, where it's not just chub, chub, chub. And I get he's your best player. I get all that. Um, but the bottom line is he got 18 carries. Okay, if 21's the perfect number, you're really not that far off from 18 to 21. Does that make sense? Scott, remind me. Yeah, remind me going back to when we were younger what was the amount of usage that a running back gets? Like, I, I feel like when we were younger, every team had a main running back, and, and that was – you didn't have the platoon like you do now. Am, am, I, am I wrong there? You know, that's a good question, Chad. Um, But, th- you know, things have changed, you know. Um, you know, there's a 17th game. There's, you know, there's better science, right, as far as um, guys breaking down and, you know, they pulling hamstrings and all that. Um you know, I was going to – I'm looking up Kevin Mack, but Mack had Biner. So that's not a great um, – you know, that, that's probably not the best um, 
you know, comparison. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, you can't do Derrick Henry because he's, you know, he gets the ball a million times. Um, what about Emmett Smith? Emmett Smith. All right. I can call him Pip real quick. Um, I mean, he's an all time leading rusher, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, I mean, I, I mean, he capped out at 377, which led the league. He led the league three times in rushes with 377, 368, 365. You know, seeing a bunch. He also had a couple of years with 260, but he was, he was high. He had over 360 like four times. So that's a bunch, right? And Nick Chubb, let me see what Nick Chubb's, you know, I mean, he, I'm guessing Nick Chubb got to 300 one year. Um, Chubb's most carries, no, he had 298. The year he finished second in rush, or he finished second twice. The first time, 2019 with Freddie Kitchens, he had 298 attempts, and he played all 16 games. So, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, if you just round it up, round it off, 60 less attempts. So you're looking at four a game maybe from Smith to Chubb. Um, you know, I don't remember if Emmett Smith ever had a second fiddle. You know, you look at Kareem Hunt. I don't know if Emmett Smith ever had that guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, so let's say even if it's 20 yards or 20 carries a game, you're 320. Um, and Chubb has never gotten to that number. So yeah, it's, but I think it's, I don't think it's necessarily a Kevin Safansky thing is it is a 2022 thing. You know, I mean, I'm going to look right now, I'm going to look up Nick Chubb's uh, where he ran. He might be the number one, he might get the most carries in the league, you know? So I think it's the Browns fans' fascination with Nick Chubb, which I completely get. Um, but I, I don't know. I just don't know. I, I guess my point is I, I don't know. I, that's not a hill I'm going to die on. Like, I don't think yeah. that's keeping the Browns from being that much better. I really don't. He's third in the league. Saquon Barkley's got 143. Derrick Henry's got 134 in one game less. And Nick Chubb's got 126. Yeah, and that's quite a story what Saquon's doing right now. So, no question. But I'm glad we brought this up because I think you just broke it down and really gave a good analyzation of what we're trying to say. And you basically said it's kind of an NFL thing. It's kind of where it is. So, uh, yeah, good good answer there. I'm glad we were able to get into that. All right, are you ready to move on to uh, this week in the Bengals? For sure. All right, well, I, I guess my first question is, it goes back to that point I just made at the very top. Do we still have faith? I mean, if if they win this game, and it, it, you know, and I hate to even say it because it's like, well, they haven't proven they deserve for us to analyze it this way. But I guess it's true. If they win this game, they're back in it. Yeah, I, I think. I, yeah, you're not wrong. I think it's more like, and maybe this is the pessimism pessimist in me, that if they lose this game, it, it's almost impossible for them to go to the playoffs. Right? They'd be two and six. You head to the bye. Um, you know, you'd probably have to go like eight and one, right? Is it, am, I, is it, am I doing the math right? That's that puts you at 17 games. You have to go well, I'm just one, gonna jump, I'm, right? I'm gonna jump in and interrupt you and just say that's how I felt going into the Baltimore game. I feel like losing that Ravens game pretty much, uh, I'm not gonna say ended it, but it, it took away my faith in the in any chance of really getting back in it. And I get that because if they would beaten Baltimore and then beat Cincinnati, they would have been in first place. Right. So like it wasn't hard to get there. Now it's a lot harder to get there because even if the Browns win, they'd be three and five. Cincinnati would be four and three or four and four. Um, Baltimore play, you know, we're taping this Thursday night, Baltimore plays Thursday night. Um, you know, so they could be five and three, like you're still going to be 
a game or two back in the division, um, depending on depending on all the results. Um, but you can also be only a game out, depending on what happens. So that's not crazy. Like right, like you go, okay, well that's not that's not too big a hill to climb. You know, the Ravens have flaws. The Bengals are going to be allowed to Chase for a while. Um, so I, I guess if they win this game, I, I think it gives hope to at least the start of the second half. And can you bridge the gap to Deshaun Watson and win another game or two, right? Tampa Bay struggling. We don't know about Miami. Um, you know, Buffalo looks like, you know, the best team in the league. But, you know, you start to think, okay, can they get there? And at three and five, I, I think there's still a shred of hope, right? Because you can lose – seven games for the season and still have a chance to go to the playoffs, maybe even eight. But if, if you lose again and it's your, you know, your fifth straight loss heading to the bye, then it's not even worth talking about. So this is a hugely important game, Monday night, Halloween, division rival, all of that. And it does feel like a, you can't afford to lose a game to me. And maybe you're already past that. Maybe that happened in Baltimore, but I, I yeah. think there's a little Boy, this Yeah. This Bengals team, Started out slow, but they've gotten hot. Burrow is on fire right now. They're starting to look like the team that went to the Super Bowl. Uh, the Browns are catching them at a, a, a bad time. There's no doubt. Now, I, I'm trying to get in my head because it's only been a couple hours since we've known Jamar Chase isn't going to play with a hip injury. Just the impact that will have. Because I watched the last two Bengals games over the last couple of days, uh, and you're right. I mean, Burrow is – Lighten it up. They're, it's like a basketball team. They just He gets it out of his hands in a hurry. He's got all these targets, right? When you have Chase and Boyd and Higgins and um, Hayden Hurst, the tight end, Joe Mixon in the backfield, like they're just moving it. It feels like they're moving it at will. And that wasn't the case early in the season. A lot of teams were playing cover two. They were making them under, throw underneath and run the ball. And now they figured out a way to still be explosive and – not leave Joe Burrow susceptible to a bunch of hits. Uh, you know, this offensive line is still a little shaky, but he's getting out of his hands so fast most of the time that I feel like, you know, that he, the pass rush doesn't matter at times because he's so quick and decisive with the ball. Um, but having said that and thinking, oh, my gosh, this team is peaking or whatever, hitting on all cylinders, coming into a Browns team that will probably be without Denzel Ward, um, you know, Greedy Williams was sick today and didn't practice. Greg Newsom was limited today. I assume he's going to be okay, but we need to, you know, find out more as the week goes on. You think, oh, that's just – it becomes a really bad matchup for the Browns. But without Jamar Chase, you know, then is T. Higgins a number one? He's good, but he's not Jamar Chase, right? Tyler Boyd moves up to the second spot from the third spot. They don't have an automatic guy that becomes now the number three. So things will change from the Bengals offensively. And I, I think, you know, Burrow's still outstanding. But not having his number one guy changes things, and I think changes significantly. Where I think if you're a Browns fan, um, you have more reason to hope than you did, you know, earlier today. So with Chase out, you know, what 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 is that? You know, are are we looking to fear Mixon a little bit more? Um, you know, you got uh, you, you still have some good receivers there, as you talked about. I mean, you got yeah. T. Higgins, you got Boyd. Uh, you know, uh, who's their tight Hayden Hurst, Hayden right? Hurst, a tight yeah. end. They got. I think that's a guy that you got to look out for now. Um, so I guess that's the bottom line is there's still plenty of weaponry. Yeah, there is. Now, you Joe Mixon's got 400 yards for the season, two touchdowns. It's only averaging 3.3 a carry. 
And to me, he feels like an afterthought a little bit in this offense just because the passing game is so strong. Now, early in the year, he ran at 27, 19, 24. The last two weeks, it was 8 and 17 because they were throwing the ball so much and so effectively. I could see a switch to him, but it would be a pretty big departure from what I've seen the last two weeks. Now, it could also be to take advantage of the Browns' weak run defense, right, which has been a little better the last two weeks, but we've seen all season long. So I could see Joe Mixon involved more. Um, you know, maybe maybe they go two tight ends and two receivers instead of the always three wides. Like, they're in three wides in shotgun, like almost every snap, especially the last couple of weeks. Now, it's all, you know, their coaches talk about it being a week-to-week thing, right? It's a week-to-week plan. But I wonder how much they change from one week to the next when you say, man, we've been doing this so well for the last couple of weeks, spreading everybody out to rewides. That do you change it just for this one matchup? And maybe you do. Maybe they knew Chase was going to be out before today. So that when they did their game planning earlier this week, they said, okay, we're going to make we're going to make a pretty big change here and try to catch the bronze off guard. So I certainly think that's something that bears watching. And as it is good as Burrow is and as many weapons he still has. I can't get past the it's a hit not having Jamar Chase. Yeah, no question. So, you know, I, I think – didn't we talk about this last week too? I mean, you would think hopefully the Browns game plan would just be to try to keep uh, Burrow off the field as much as possible. And I guess the bottom line is, you know, it, again, it, it's it's turnovers. You can't turn the ball over. I know that's, you know, it's not like a huge expert at, uh, right. analysis there. But but really, I guess my – here's my point. It almost feels like they don't have to play the perfect game Monday night. Yeah, it, it's – and like I said, it feels like they're too much, right? Like, if the, if the bang – if Burrow threw two picks, you could go, yeah, I could see how they still beat the Browns, right? Like, if Brissett throws two picks, it's like, oh, man, there's no way they're going to beat the Bengals. And, you know, maybe that's a quarterback thing. Maybe it's the fact that you're in a four-game losing streak and all these other de- – I think it's more all these other deficiencies have shown up. And by that, I mean the defense was expected to be better, and it hasn't been. And special teams have been bad, Judd. And, you know, we're going to talk to Mike Prefer, the coordinator, on Friday. It's usually Thursday, but everything's moved back a day because of Monday night. Um, I'd really like him to get in-depth, and I'm going to try to get him to go there. Who knows? About the struggles, right? Like, it's there's no return game. Then they give up a 46-yard return to Devin DuVernay. Then you have the the penalty in the black field goal. You know, it's like it's there's just so much – that the special teams is doing wrong. And outside of Cade York's winner in week one and decent coverage, like there's nothing to write home about. And, you know, if you talk about winning a game by, hey, we're going to run the ball a bunch, play good defense and good special teams. Well, if you're not playing good defense and you're not playing good special teams, then that formula goes out the window. And even when they played good defense a week ago in Baltimore, they didn't play good special teams. And you need that third segment. And, and I think that's been a huge disappointment this year. What kind of atmosphere do you think we're going to be looking at here? I mean, yeah. could you imagine what it would be like if, if the Browns were over 500? Maybe their record was reversed and they were 5-2 and two instead of 2-5. and five. I mean, that would be an unbelievable atmosphere. It's still going to be fun. But, I mean, I know I have friends that are like, I can't believe we're at this point again. I know people that don't even know if they want to go. Halloween night, they want to sell their tickets. I, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that's across the board, but. You know, definitely uh, it's less excitement from at least season ticket holders, I would think, that, you know, could maybe try to sell their tickets and make a little money. 
No, I think that's fair. You know, I think this could be the last stand, so to speak. It's Halloween. It's a Monday night national TV game uh, where I could see fans showing up for this. Like, hey, you know, we'll kind of give it our last big effort here. And then after the bye, the weather's going to get worse. Um, Then kind of saying, okay, if we go, we go. If not, you know, let's try to sell the tickets. Like, Halloween, Monday night, and, you know, I don't have the kid factor right now. You know, I have kids trick-or-treating on Monday night, so that's not – wouldn't be a factor for me. Um, but I, I could see wanting to go to this game because there is a good atmosphere. Um, it'll probably be a little loonier being Halloween. It is the Bengals. So I, I still expect a big-time atmosphere. I do. Um, but going back to your point, it, it, the Browns need to run the ball, right? They need to keep the ball out of Burrow's hands. They need to not turn it over. You know, and that Bengals defense seems susceptible to me, although they're like tied for seventh in the league in scoring. They're ninth against the pass. They're 19th against the run. Uh, I, I think it can be vulnerable, and the Browns need to take advantage of that. And they need to, you know, it's almost – it's like you say almost every week. They need to control the clock, especially when you're playing a guy like Burrow. You need to control the clock, get Nick Chubb involved, get Kareem Hunt involved, and try to shorten that game. Um, and I think that's doable against this Bengals defense. So last thing I want to hit you with before we get to predictions, uh, trade. I mean, uh, you know, do you think the Browns are going to make a trade? And and Kareem Hunt, certainly the, the top name at the list there of uh, Rumorville. Yeah, I, I'm interested in what you think about this, Shud. Um, and I, I wrote an analysis, you can read it at bronzo.com, about, you know, I'd be open to trading Kareem Hunt. Now, I'd be more open with the loss Monday, but I don't think that would be – a make or break, right? Because we talked about the playoffs are still a long shot, period. Um, but I wouldn't just give them away. Like, first of all, I think that sends a bad message to the locker room, right? Oh, we're not trying to win. We're just getting rid of people. Like a fire sale. Like, it's hard to have a fire sale in football. Um, how much is, you know, like say some team offered a fifth round pick. Is that really worth it? You know, like I know the Browns love their draft picks, but I can't get excited about a fifth round pick. I can get excited about watching Kareem Hunt run the ball and catch passes. I'd also argue that if he stays with the team, then there's a greater chance of him re-signing in the offseason. And I think he's still a good player. I, you know, if you're still going to run the ball a ton, it would help to have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt together. So, you know, if the team offered me a third-round pick, to me that's the value. Like, that's valuable enough where I would trade Kareem Hunt. Below that, I don't think I would. And then you get a guy like Greedy Williams, you know, last year of his contract, you know, he's your third or fourth, he's your fourth corner if Denzel Ward gets healthy from the concussion and he's still in the protocol. Um, you know, if you could get a lower round pick for a fourth corner, that makes sense. Um, you know, but guy like Jadavion Clowney, like what would you have to get to trade him? Jack Conklin, like people would probably want, people might get to other teams might give up quality assets for Jack Conklin. Now, but if you do that, you're, you know, you could be sacrificing the protection of your quarterback, whether it's Jacoby or Deshaun Watson, you know, and then you, again, you probably don't have a chance to re-sign him. And I think you're better off just re-signing him because he's under, he's in the last year of his contract, signing him to an extension rather than trading him for a second or third round pick. I mean, that's just where I am in my head, but the Browns could view it differently as, hey, we need to recoup some of these picks from the Watson trade. This is the best way to do it. 
Boy, I'll tell you, spot on. I was thinking the same thing. I just a fourth or fifth round pick does not excite me for Kareem Hunt. I'd rather keep him than do that. The only thing is if the Browns are thinking, like you said, getting more picks to then trade those picks to get a better pick or something down yep. the line. Yep. So I, I could get that. But just for in the thought of uh, a fourth pick for Hunt straight up, that, that doesn't excite me. So yep. I, I I agree with you. Here's uh, right on there. All right. Anything else before we uh, get to prediction time? No, I think we hit on what I wanted to, but. All right. Um, all right. So. As we talked about at the top of the the pod here, you nailed the score, right? I mean, how do you follow that up? I mean, <laughs> when when you hit the score right on the money, I mean, there you should almost retire. Yeah, there's nowhere to go but down. <laughs> no question. So now we are both. Uh, let's see, both four and three. Is that right? That sounds right. Yeah, because you caught me the week before, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So we're both four and three. So the latest I saw, and do you think the line changed? Did Jamar Chase change this at all? I had three and a half. Now I see three. I saw the over-under go from 46 and a half to 45. I could see him affecting the over-under. I don't know how much. Usually player, you know, if a non-quarterback doesn't move the line that much. Um, I, I thought I saw in my paper two – this morning, so before the chase stuff, but although maybe the odds makers knew, who knows? Um, I thought I saw it at two or three. And I tell you, if it's two or three, doesn't that seem low to you? Like we talked about how good the Bengals are playing. They went to the Super Bowl a year ago. The Browns have lost four in a row. For it to be that low, it almost feels like one of those Vegas sucker bets to me. Is it a you trap? Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, like I, I can't figure it out. Like, and when that happens, sometimes it scares me into like questioning my pick, right? Because you feel like, like the, the, I say Vegas, but it's whoever's setting the lines. Like they know something that I don't know or that I should know. <laughs> well, they, they know a lot more they than we know because they have all those nice buildings, right? <laughs> no, you're right. They do know something, but, but then that'll happen. You'll be like, oh, you know, there, there'll be lines you see where I love that line. And you're right. Like for whatever reason, the line just didn't jive with what you were thinking. Um, but it makes you when it's kind of uh, when it's a few points off for me, then I kind of start second guessing myself. Yeah. All right. Uh, who's going to go first here? Um, I'll go. I don't know whose turn it. I'll go. Um, All right. I think it'll be close. And I say this every week. I think it, usually I think the game's going to be close. That's the NFL. That's how the Browns play. I think you'll get really good effort. Like, I, I don't think effort's been a problem at all. So I think going in, you know, Jacoby Brissett kind of references when we talked to him on Thursday is we have to empty our tank, right? It's not, Hey, we get to reset at the buy. It's, Hey, let's expend every ounce of energy. And then we get to recover during the buy. And that's the right attitude. I would expect the Browns to have that attitude. No one wants to be embarrassed on Monday night. So I think the Browns will play really, I think the Browns will play well and try hard. I just think the Bengals are a little bit better. So I'm going to go Bengals 27 Browns 24. Whoa. And, All right. And I had that before the chase thing, before the chase news, and I haven't adjusted it. You know, maybe I should bump it down a little bit, but I'm just going to stick to it. Wow. I mean, that is incredible. We're like right on pace here. <laughs> wait till you wait till you hear my score. Um, yeah. It, I think I told you after the Atlanta game, I was not going to pick the Browns again until they win. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to hold on to that probably. I mean, maybe there's a game where I'll be like, yeah, th this is it. I'm going to, I I can change my mind, but I I'm going Bengals. They're, they're definitely the better team. 
But again, I, I don't think, like you said, it, I think it's going to be close. And could they pull the victory on Monday night? Sure. You know, I mean, yeah. hey, maybe this is the game that could turn it all around for him. But I, I'm not going to predict it. So amazing how close we are here. I'm going Bengals 26, Browns 23. Wow. <laughs> like, all right, then. That's crazy, Chuck. Almost right on, right? Yeah. Well, that makes me feel better. Um, you know, just because, yeah, great minds. But, yeah, I mean, that, that, it just feels like that kind of game, you know. Uh, maybe but maybe the Browns get a break, and they really haven't gotten many breaks, whether it's from the officials, whether it's a ball bouncing, you know. Um, you know, that if that Jacoby Brissett fumble, if they pounce on it, right, then that's a, that's a huge point in the game, right. And the Browns have had other fumbles where the other team, you know, I think at one point the Browns had forced like 10 fumbles and recovered two of them. Right. So maybe they get a break. Maybe there's a tip ball goes their way. Um, I don't know what to think about the fact that the Browns have won four in a row against the Bengals, including Joe Burrow's 0-3 against them. Like, I don't know how to process that is. Do the Browns know something or is that just a complete coincidence? And he's going to, you know, he's due to win. Right. Like that, uh, that kind of feels more likely to me. Um, but they do have some good vibes against the Bengals. The best game they played last year was against the Bengals down in Cincinnati. So I, I think it'll be a fun game. I think it'll be interesting. Uh, I, the, the last point for me, Chud, is if they win, I think everything calms down a little bit, right? Now, there could still be a trade or two at the deadline, but uh, generally speaking, I, I think the, the conversation dies down. You go into the bye week, you can relax a little bit. If it's if they lose, and especially if it's an ugly loss, then you get all the questions during the bye about job security and trades and benchings and right. And I think from the organizational perspective, they'd be so much better off with a win where they would allow everything to quiet down. You come back after the bye, figure out a way to get through three weeks, and then you get to Sean Watson coming back. Yeah, and and as we all know, he's going to win every game, right? So <laughs> he's not, but at least that you know, and you know, I don't want to get into Deshaun Watson there, but that's something. If you're a Browns fan that isn't turned off by Deshaun Watson, like that's a reason to watch the end of the season, right? Like, how's the offense look? How's he doing? Um, does he look like you know, by the end of the year? Does he look like the quarterback you thought he would? Right? Like, there's a hook to the end of the season now. But you got to get to that. You got to get there if you're the organization without the season turning into a complete disaster. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see. We'll see if you can. Uh, what, what What do you call it again in the press box? The a noser. noser. Yeah. All right. Noser. We'll see. Hopefully, we're talking about a win next week. Anyway, but yeah. uh, all right. Uh, hey, uh, one quick shout out. Uh, you know, for the morning show on Go, yeah, busy yeah, yeah. all week, uh, Scott. I, I don't know if you're dressing up for Halloween, but. Everyone on the morning show on Go on uh, Channel Three. We we've been we've been uh, taping stuff all week. We have our big Halloween costume special on Monday morning, so uh, that will be on between six thirty and seven. So make sure to tune in. I'm guessing you can't spoil what you are, huh? Absolutely not. Well, I'll, I'll tell, tell you. you go ahead. I'll go tell ahead. you this. I'm not a I'm not a Browns player. Fair enough. Well, and I'll tell you this, Judd. First of all, I'm not a big Halloween guy. Number two, I'm not showing up at the press box Monday night in a costume. So there's no way I would do that. Dress up as a noser. <laughs> I got a big, a big nose. nose. I already got yeah. one of those. <laughs> I have me too. All right. All right. Well, perfect. I, I appreciate it, Chud, as always. Um, thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been another episode of the 
Zone Coverage Podcast, and you can read all my work at brownzone.com. Thanks.